Our series today is When the Devil Knocks. And this is an important topic. It's a challenging topic. It's a tough topic. Um, I introduced some of this topic uh, the first Sunday in July when we went into a series, When I Need a Miracle. And we worked on the very first one, When I Need a Miracle of Deliverance. And so I wish that uh, everybody already heard that, memorized it, and now we're going into this one. And I know that's not the case, but if you're a first-timer today and you're here and you're going, oh, man, this is a church that's going to talk about the devil? Uh, Wow. And maybe you don't even believe that the devil is real. I just want to let you know I believe the devil's real. I believe demons are real. I believe angels are real. I believe God is real. And I believe that the worldview of Jesus is the accurate worldview. And the reason I believe that is I believe he really rose from the dead. He really is who he claimed to be. If he really is who he claimed to be, then he has an accurate worldview. And he speaks to us about things that are unseen and dimensions that are unseen and this battle that is unseen. And that's what we're talking about. So if you came thinking you were signed up for Mormon Fluffy, that's not today. Um, It's more like totally challenging and really moving through a lot of material quickly. We're going to be looking at, well, let me just jump to scripture. Here we go. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, Of course, he's referring to the first battle between the devil and humanity in the Garden of Eden when the devil masqueraded as a serpent. We don't even know what the serpent looked like in that day because that was before the curse when he was able to walk and interact and talk. And then after the curse, the serpent is a slithering animal. By the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so Paul had a fear. He had a fear that all these people that he had talked to and trained to receive uh, the truth of God and they committed to the Lord Jesus Christ with a pure devotion that even then there is this battle between the devil and them and deception is the tool that the devil uses. And these lies attack your mind and as these lies attack your mind, you will be in trouble. I want to just tell you, this is very real for all of us. This last week... I um, had a rough, rough start on one of my mornings. I had had a short sleep night. I was at a kind of a late start morning as a result, so I didn't have my, my normal time with the Lord to just do what I normally do in the morning, pray and read the scriptures. And, and I was processing out loud some of the stresses and troubles and problems I was trying to solve. I was processing out loud with my wife. And the more I processed and the more I talked about it, the more I began to inside feel the stress level rising and the peace going away. And I said, I, I, I need to do first things first. That's one of our phrases here. I need to do first things first. I got to get away and, and go pray. She says, yes, you do. Go. And I went away and did my thing. I was happy to report when I came back. I'm all better now. And, uh, but it's much bigger deal than that. When I came back, what took place in my prayer time was after my time of prayer, I was almost refreshed, re-energized, restored, and I came away from that time of prayer with a thought. It was a simple thought, one I already knew, but it was like totally fresh, totally new, and I believe that God was just reinforcing it in me. He said, if you focus on your problems, your stress level rises, If you focus on me and the bigness 
and the glory and the solution that I am to you, your joy level rises. And he only said that after my joy level rose. It's like, it was like, you're absolutely right. So I came home thinking, I'm all better now because I spent some time redirecting my focus from my problems to the solution. I'm way too small to figure out my problems. And when the devil knocks with you, are you busy trying to solve it? It's a lie that says you can solve this, you can do this, you've got this. It's a lie that I was holding on to. And the lie also was something like this. This is too big for you. This is gonna really take you down. This is gonna go bad. That's a lie. The truth is, God is bigger, God is better, God is glorious, God is the answer, God is going to do it for you. And as soon as I go there, it's like, oh, joy returns. So if I'm struggling with this, and every one of us, I mean, we're, we don't live in this real simplistic life. You can have real a lot of good things happening on one railroad track, at the same time parallel with real a lot of bad things happening on the other railroad track, and you're going down life with good things and bad things, and it's like, ah, this life is complicated. What are you going to do when the devil knocks with you? Deception. So this is week one, focusing on his strategy of deception. Here are the three strategies we're going to look at in the three weeks this week included as we look at this series. Satan is a deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. Satan is the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. Those are the three areas. Now, we could go into a whole bunch of other schemes and strategies of the devil, but this is what we're going to deal with. And believe me, you're going to feel like, oh, fire hose, overload. This is a lot of stuff fast, and we're going to keep it to this stuff in these next three weeks. But it's really, really important stuff. Now, the challenge for me is this. Anytime you're talking about the devil, I don't want you to focus on the devil. Anytime you talk about his demons in the dark side, I don't want you to get spooked. I want your focus not to be in spooky land or uh, and I don't really like this and all that. I don't want you to go there at all. I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to feel equipped. I want you to focus on the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he is adequate for every battle you face. That's what I want for you. So if you start going to those other creepy places, try to go back to, just like me, choosing to focus on the glory of the victorious Jesus Christ. Christ. Here's another scripture before we go. Maybe it's a familiar one to you. Jesus is speaking. He is talking about he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And then he talks about this thief out there that's trying to steal us away from him. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I want you to focus on the life giver and not be afraid of the thief because the answer is in him. And yet I want you to be totally aware of the battle. I mean, you are probably. Every one of us probably have a story of somebody who's experienced destruction, maybe even suicide or suicide attempts. And you're thinking, I don't get it. Why would anybody go there? We are in a battle. And the thief will put in the lies and will cause you to have your joy stolen away, your gifts stolen away, your vision, your hope stolen away, the motivations killed, and you're on your way down. This 
series helps us for ourselves. It helps us for others that we know that are in desperate need of hope. Jesus is our hope. Now, on the next screen, before, still introductory, Jesus has already won. When the devil knocks, we don't scratch and claw for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus gave us everything we need. This is so huge for me. I just, I don't know if this helps you. I think it does when we actually verbalize this. Would you read that screen with me? Ready? Here we go. Jesus has already won. When the devil knocks, we don't scratch and claw for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus gave us everything we need. Now, I could spend months trying to teach you what that means to fight from victory. It's his adequacy. It's his provision. It's all his victory that we step into. It's his authority. And so to kind of get at that really quickly, here's the next slide. Jesus has been given all authority. Don't think of, okay, the devil's one power and he's a dark power. And Jesus is the other power and there's equal powers. No, 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 no. Jesus has been given all authority. He has authorized and deputized and equipped and empowered his children to reign in his authority and live in his victory. He tells us, you, you and me, you are the light of the world. And we're going to talk about darkness, but listen, in a clash, in a battle between darkness and light, light wins. You win because we have a victory of a source that's inside of us that's bigger than the darkest of dark. We fight from that victory. Now, if you fight on your own, you're going down. And there is a battle, it's very real. So, here we go, our focus for today. We've already read it once, but with that background and intro, Satan is a deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Now, why is this so important? It's so important because every single time we sin, the reason we sin is that we have bought into some lie that Satan has whispered into our, our worlds, whether it's secondary whisper through a friend or through media or through a counselor or through something, some lie has whispered into our soul and if we decide, oh, I don't want to do God's will, and it makes better sense to do this, I'll be happier if, if I just do this, that's what's going to make me happy and it's not God's will, you have bought into a lie. Now, if that's where we stop today, and I just gave you a little assignment. Now, you're struggling with sin. You're struggling to do God's will. Try to identify what lie you embrace that caused you to do that. If you just took a notebook and tried to think through and pray through, what lie am I believing? Why do I do that? What do I think I'm gaining from that? And identify the lie and try to find God's truth to address that. You are now on the right track to find some solution. But we've barely begun. We're going to jump into battles. This is kind of the central battle. We're going to later on jump into the Adam and Eve story, the first battle of Satan against humanity. This is kind of the central battle as it's heating up. Uh, the enemy of Jesus has already entertained strategies for eliminating him and trying to kill him. And in the middle of teaching to a crowd of believers, these religious leaders who have hate for him 
are in the middle of the crowd. And here's what Jesus says to them all. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And some of the people believed. Now, this is, this is I just, <laughs> check this out. How powerful is truth? Truth has the power to set you free. But then look at how counterintuitive the way Jesus holds it together. And I just love how Jesus is just, I mean, he knows how to help you. He says, now, if you hold to my teachings, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. He's got this mixed crowd, and he's, he's saying, it's not good enough to say, yeah, I agree with that law, I agree with that commandment, yeah, I agree with that, mm-hmm. oh, I agree with the teaching, mm, yeah, I agree. Are you holding to it? If you hold to it, not just say, yeah, that makes good sense. I, I agree with that one. You hold to it. You allow it to govern the next steps that you're taking. You're actually holding to it and trying to live by it. That's when, it's, he says, then you will know the truth. Now, just in case there's somebody in here, you're kind of attracted to Jesus. You're not sure if you're really committed to him yet. You're not sure what it means to even follow him. You're sort of interested in hearing more, and you're not really a disciple yet. Why don't you go the track that he said? Try me on this, Jesus says. Hold to my teaching, and then you will know. Maybe you don't even know you believe yet. Hold to my teaching, and then you will know. Then you will know. And that truth will set you free, and you go, This is reality. He has the corner on reality. He is truth. He's actually telling me what's true. This works. You will believe in him and you'll be his disciple. You'll be set free. Now we're going to jump past a controversy that took place because of these words. These religious leaders start to combat Jesus and say, we're not, what are you talking about setting free? We're already free. We already believe. We already have this. We're already God's children. He's our father, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus then takes them to task. Now, if you think of Jesus as always being nice, always being loving, always being gentle, just pay attention. Here we go. John chapter 8, verse 42 and 44, we skip some of that dialogue back and forth. Now Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. That's a huge command. A huge statement. It's like, we think you're off. If you really love God the Father, you would love me. Whoa, what a statement. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear? Now, how clear is that? It's like, that's pretty clear. You don't believe that I've been sent from God? If you love God, you're going to love me because God sent me. That's pretty clear stuff. What's not clear about what I'm saying? Because you are unable to hear what I say, he says. You belong to your father, and I, your father? You belong to your father, the devil. Whoa, that's not nice, Jesus. You just said to these religious people that their father is not God, their father is the devil, and he's now going to show them, because you're trying to kill me, and I skipped that section where he already said that, you're trying to murder me, you're trying to kill me, you have murder in your hearts, your real father is not God the father. 
And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks the native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I highlighted the phrase, when he lies, because most of us in this room, we know that the devil is a deceiver, but we have a misunderstanding about him. We think he always lies. It's not true. When he lies, he speaks his native language, but he does not always lie. Next week, we're going to get into when he tells the truth about you. And he's taking you down with truth. You're good for, look at what you just did. I can't, you should live in shame. You cannot serve. Look at you, and he's right. He's speaking truth. And we're going to take a look at the devil as the accuser. Next week, he will speak truth to take you down too. But today we're looking at how he speaks lies to take you down. Now, before we move on, this is probably the heaviest statement that I'm going to say today. These people who did not believe in Jesus, these people who were just called the sons of the devil, these people who thought they were right and Jesus is a deceiver, they were the ones who were deceived. Now here's the heavy When you are deceived, you do not know it. The potential is any one of us could be deceived, and most of us are deceived in the area of our struggle because lies are operational and we have not identified the deception that's causing us to go into this dark loop. And when you are deceived, you don't know it. As soon as you shine the light on it and identify it, (gasps) then you have the truth that will set you free. Are you ready for point number one? Point number one. The devil questions God's word. We saw how the religious leaders were questioning the word of God, Jesus. Now we're going to go back up to the first battle with Adam and Eve, the devil coming against them. And we're going to take a look at how he questioned God's word with them. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, you need to read chapter 2 and hear what God really said. And he didn't say that. And the devil is questioning God. Now, a lot of us have this idea of a question. There's no such thing as a bad question. Go ahead and ask your question. There's no such thing as a bad... That's only a half-truth. There is such thing called a bad question. There's no bad question if it's something you're honestly seeking an answer for and you, you don't know and you want an answer. That's a, that's a good question. This is not a good question because this is a deceiving question to try to trip up somebody else with the question. And there's a lot of those people out there that don't really want to know. They will question in a way to cause you to feel like, maybe I should question God. Maybe God isn't good. And that's what he's doing here. Here's how Eve responded. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, And you must not touch it or you will die. Now, here's a little homework assignment. Go back to chapter two. Compare this with, in 
chapter 2, verse 16, 17, I think, where God spoke. Eve misquotes God on two levels. Eve misquotes the goodness of God when Satan said, did he really say you cannot eat from any tree when God said you may freely freely eat from any tree except this one? When Eve quotes it, she forgets the freely part. The the goodness of God, the grand goodness of all that he gives, she focuses in on this defensive, any tree? No, no, we we can eat from the trees. She should have hung on to the freely eat from all of those. We have way more than we need. Just this one is forbidden. But she didn't capture the bigness. She was wondering about the goodness. Then she says, and you must not touch it. God never said that. Check it out. You may freely eat from all of these and don't eat from this one. But now she's questioning, is God harsh? Yeah, yeah don't even touch that one. And that's where her heart is coming. So she misquotes on two levels. Now the reason I bring this up is this. When Satan, next screen please. When Satan questioned God's word, Eve questioned God's goodness. She begins to misquote, backpedal, misquote. Is, she, is he harsh? Is he not that good? When you question God's goodness, it's easier to disobey God's will. Honestly, in this room, a number of us, when things are really hard, we're questioning how good is God. Now we're in a danger zone because God is good all the time. When there's something that is not good, it's not God who is the giver of the not good. And God can superintend even those things to bring about good because he is a master chess player. And so when you start questioning, be careful because you're on the way to making it easier to disobey God. Point number two. The devil twists God's word. The devil twists God's word. We're going to take a look at continuing in the story in Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. You will not certainly die, the serpent says, to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here I'm saying the devil twists God's words. Now we look at it right up front because God said in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die, right? This is what God says. The devil says, you will not certainly die. Isn't that just a blatant contradiction? How is it that he's twisting? Well, I want to show you the twist because it's really tricky what he does. Here's the twist. If we jump forward in chapter three, after they ate the fruit, here's what God said. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take evil from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So here's a tricky question, warning. It's a tricky question. Was Satan right? Let's back up. Was Satan right? He said, no, in the day you eat of it, you shall not die. In the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Isn't that what God just said? Satan is using a half-truth to lead people astray. And he is really doing a doozy. I'm going to explain it in a second, but here's the reality of what Satan is doing here. Next screen. The devil is a master of half-truths designed to accomplish whole deceptions. By the way, don't follow in his steps. Don't say a technical truth to lead people into deception. Don't cover your tracks with a half-truth so that you can deceive. That's the devil's tactic, okay? 
Now, how did the devil do this? He says, in the day that you eat it, you shall not surely die. Your eyes will be open. But here's the whole truth. He says, in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So he sets a dangling carrot. You will be like God as the temptation for Eve. But here's the whole truth. She was already like God in a way far grander than Satan ever could hope to be. She and Adam were created in the image of God and were a glorious image bearer and Satan hated that. So he takes a half-truth to take them down. As soon as they eat from the tree, yes, death entered that very day. But Satan knew that it wasn't going to be, or maybe he was just guessing, it wasn't going to be they dropped down dead. No, they dropped apart dead. They used to walk and talk and see all the spiritual dimensions, see God face to face, interact with him, and now that, because of their sin, was distanced. They're cast out of that garden experience, and now they've entered into knowing the difference between good and evil the way Satan does instead of the way God does. They knew the difference between good and evil by tasting evil instead of knowing the difference between good and evil by judging evil. God would have judged and said, that's wrong. That's a contradiction. And Satan said, no, you'll know the difference. They did. Their innocence was gone. They knew it by experiencing it. And Satan was jealous of their glory. And so he puts sin all over, the same sin that he experienced, wanting to be like God. Now they're going to serve him in the mud of sin. Now we're tempted, especially we guys, to be just like Adam. If Eve hadn't have been deceived, <laughs> this whole world would not be in the mess it's in. I want you to know something and just dispel that notion right off. And here's the scripture verse. It's in verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Have you ever seen this? Who was with her? You need to understand that the rest of Scripture usually holds Adam responsible, not Eve. Eve is held responsible too, but Adam is held responsible because Adam sinned before he bit. He sinned in passive silence when God had set him in charge of the kingdom. I want you to take dominion and rule over this kingdom and be the king of paradise. You are king. And he just sits by and watches as one of these little animals is deceiving his wife. He's taking a passive approach to see which way it goes. What is going on here? And he's supposed to take an active, kingly, reigning, judging approach. Had he done that and said, you're out of here, you are wrong, you're contradicting God, God is truth, you're a lie, you are gone, let me issue judgment, they would have passed the test and we would have never had this fallen world. Hoo-hoo, but that's a story we don't get to read because it never happened. That's the story God wanted to have happen when he sets up the temptation. There's always a way out but Adam and Eve did not take it. Never, ever take the que sera, sera approach in battle. Folks, 
We do this all the time. And we especially do it because we believe God is all-powerful and in control. Que sera, sera. Whatever happens, happens. He's going to make it all come out okay because he's God. And we don't issue the reigning, ruling judgment he's asking us to do in reigning battle. He says, you will trample the devil under your feet. That's where our victory is. God is not doing it under his feet. He's doing it under our feet. We're reigning with Christ, issuing judgment with Christ. We need to get out our battle weapon and know how to do this. That's what Adam was supposed to do, but he said, oh, whatever. Que sera, sera. Men, especially, we are still falling into the trap of passive living. Watching life go by, watching battles go by. Oh, they're, they're messed up. Oh, they're messed up. When we are supposed to engage in battle, Paul says this for us. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. If Satan is the deceiver, the answer is the sword. The word of God, the truth. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Let me just summarize for us what I've just said. Get it all crunched down into just real quick synopsis. We have studied the examples of the battle with Adam and Eve that Satan engaged. The battle with the Pharisees that Satan engaged. And they were losers in this battle. He was using their mind as a target for his lies. His lies were the weapons Satan's purpose was to make them ignorant of God's will. They thought they were right. They were deceived and moved away from God's will. Our only defense against this kind of tactic and strategy and lie is to become familiar with the use of the weapon that we have called the Word of God that Paul says is a sword. How familiar are you with the sword? How comfortable are you pulling it out and wielding a truth that counteracts a lie? Do you even know where your sword is? If I were to ask you, where's your sword located? Can you put it? It's on my nightstand dresser right, right by where I have my daily time with him. Maybe it's right in your hand. Maybe it's in your pocket. Maybe you've downloaded version and you are in a daily reading plan. Are you doing battle alone? Get into a small group. You would never battle this kind of warrior, seasoned for millenniums, in st a student who understands our weaknesses and our humanity. You would never battle him alone. Get in a group. Have a plan. Get into battle strategy. Just because God is in control doesn't mean there is no battle. It's not when the battle comes. We are in a battle. Pull out your sword. Just in case there's somebody here that doesn't have a Bible, doesn't know how to use a Bible, start somewhere. Grab a Bible from the chair in front of you. Our gift to you. Start in the Gospel of John, maybe. Or read Genesis, like we've just been reading. Or read the verses on the back of the outline. Begin somewhere. Do battle. I have a prayer on the screen that I want you to see. I want you to go ahead and read it right now silently because I want us to pray it out loud together in a moment. Read this for me.
Let's stand together. If you're willing, let's speak this out. It's part of the battle tactic. We're using truth. We're embracing truth. We're confessing truth. We're confessing our weakness and his strength and the solution. Would you confess this with me out loud? Dear God, I confess that I am often too passive in this battle. I often forget this is a real battle with our enemy, but you have already won the war. We fight from your victory. Thank you for giving us your word to fight the lies of the enemy. We ask you to give us the courage to fight back with the truth this week. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Amen?